This is the Beige and the Bold, the road to Deep Space Nine, and today I am watching The Inner Light. Three, two, one, engage. Oh my god, Derek skipped The Inner Light. <laughs> he decided to watch the next phase, and I'll be honest with you, it was probably for the best. The next phase is kind of a Midland episode that you can play with a lot. There's a lot to say about the next phase in terms of what it's trying to do and where it succeeds and where it fails. Uh, it's really interesting. The Inner Light is a goddamn classic, but what are you going to do? Sit here and cry at it for 45 minutes? I It's an episode that I always think is really overrated. And I'm always like, alright, whatever. The Inner Light, yeah, it's real good. And then I watch it and it fucking, it fucking gets me all over again. Um, so the deal is, for those of you who are probably watching this the, the first time, perhaps even not watching it, is that they're hanging out in space and they find a probe. And they're like, well, shit, let's probe this probe. And out of all of, of space and, and the Enterprise and all the people on it, the shields and the, the scans, uh, the probe hits Picard. And it goes, bam, Picard. And it whammies him. And he faints and Riker catches him. And when Picard opens his eyes, it's a woman who claims that she's his wife. And so Picard is somewhere else, and he's someone else. And this is this is not his beautiful starship. This is not his beautiful crew. He doesn't know this place at all. Uh, and indeed, as this episode goes on, the days do go by for Picard. And <laughs> he reaches for his comm badge. Uh, Patrick Stewart said this was his greatest acting challenge in TNG, and I'll believe it. And it's unsurprising considering how excited he was to do Star Trek Picard. And I'm going to keep talking about Star Trek Picard until it doesn't hurt any more nerds. So, uh, this is his home and he lives here, she says. And he's completely baffled. And it's it's a great hook of like, where is Picard? What's happening? Because um, we imagine that he has been physically moved. We imagine he's been... He's knocked out, and Riker's holding him, and then he gets transported. And this is all part of a complex psychological game. You remember the original series episode where they need Captain Kirk, what, to bone down a lady to give her a space disease to deal with the fact that they've got too much population because they refuse to use condoms? Well, that's kind of what we're thinking about here. And we're like, well, I mean, he's, he's in a weird place, and the probe is doing something. But what's the game and what's the goal? And this episode does tell us in the most blatant, unsubtle way in its own time. Like once we figure it out. Um, I talk a lot about how comic books, superhero fiction, uh, usually found in comic books, are a form of science fiction. And this feels like a really big uh, comic book idea where, you know, like, like Walt Simonson or Jack Kirby could tell this story. Uh, and they would tell it well with, you know, Thor or Iron Man or, or anyone, really. And it kind of puts someone back in the medieval era and they kind of live a whole life. And then it turns out that this is just their way of preserving a culture which was doomed to end. Um, we are working the core concept of Star Trek here. and of, of This is Picard finding a new civilization. And learning about it by living it and uh not 
by living it in its own way. And this is such, like, I guess we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So the place where he is now, uh, his, his wife tells him he's been having a fever and he's not reasonable and he's been sick. And so that's what the deal is. <laughs> he's got some crazy puffy pets. But let's not make too much fun of uh, of the wardrobe in here. It has to be alien, and yet it isn't alien. Uh, is this the same house set? Is this the same house set they use for, like, everything? Oh, Nurse Agao was in this one. Um, and again, it looks pleasantly alien, and yet, you know, reasonable, modern. Uh... Complete, you know, like a real place. It feels real. And it's such a Picard thing to do where he goes out and he explores his environment to like bullheadedly without any kind of uh, hesitation or compunction. He goes out and he explores it. I would say little E explores as opposed to his, his big E exploring. And yet he is big E exploring. The Planting of the Tree is just a masterful little story. This feels like a short story. Like it has all of the, the soundness, the subtlety, the little touches. Like uh, Omelas. Omelas is probably a bit less constructed in that it is a series of describing the status quo rather than a series of events happening. But uh, The Lottery or Harrison Bajeral, the, these are fairly... Uh, self-contained short stories that tell you what the world is like and th those are both very focused examples but in that we're trying to describe a world we instantly get that and you know with kids being here uh <laughs> with kids being here um you know picard says well this place can't be that awful if they're going to put kids in charge of this rampaging prisoner. Um, and, it, you know, hats off to the... Uh, they're not, I don't know they're not, they're not called the Caymans. I forget what they're called. Oh, it's a Resicans. They're Resicans because it's a Resican flute. Um, the Resican environmental designers. Uh, they probably designed a great skybox. And Picard's probably not going to look up in a single year of his life here. They're going to be like, ah, fucking gamers never look up. Um, Batai. <laughs> and the, uh, I think Picard understands this is either a complicated ruse or these people themselves believe what's happening. And there's this very genial thing and Picard says, well, okay, maybe I'll just play around a little bit to, um, to, to, to see what's going on here. And because they don't seem to suspect anything. So, hey, may, maybe it's a mind wipe community, right? They've all been abducted by the alien probe. And everyone's been mind wiped to, to serve a role in the society. And... Picard's <laughs> like, what planet is this? And the guy's like, I think you're sick. He's like, no, no, it's fine. What planet is this, though? Catan. Katarian? Wouldn't it be Katanian flute? Anyway, this is it's a classic episode. It's uh it's an episode of Family Guy that references Picard's flute. Picard's flute is a big deal. 
Um, it should probably be a bigger deal. Let's let's be honest, folks. It should probably be a bigger deal than him being assimilated by the Borg. Um, like, Picard should be the guy who spent a lifetime on on Kataria. Katar. Katan? It's Katan now. So, uh, he instantly does, I think, what we all do, both in Skyrim and in uh, a lot of different simulated environments where he goes, finds the, the boundaries up, and he looks at the place. It's a remastered shot. I, I took a peek. I did some research. I found the original. The remaster probably a little better. Uh, you know, some of the matte paintings were done for television resolution when you remaster them. They look a little better in HD, admittedly. Again, I am against remastering as a principle, probably because when I read Fahrenheit 451, there was a foreword by Ray Bradbury. And he's like, you know, people tell me there's some problems with this book. And I see the problems myself. And I want to go back and I want to fix it. But ultimately, this book is in the past. And I am writing new books. And I cannot spend my entire life going back and trying to fix my old mistakes. You know, Fahrenheit 451 is the thing it is. It is of that time. It is of my time. And it is flawed. And I, we are ready to move on. And I feel that way about effects because these things are the stories, the stories they tell. But who cares if the effects are a little bit naff? They are um, the effects of the time. They are the stories they are told from the time in which they are told. And if we are to consider the context of the stories that we consume, which I think we should, obviously, then <laughs> uh, I don't think we should remove them from that context just to make them look a little better. The stories, the, the, the zeitgeist, the styles of those eras aren't something that we can remaster. We can't uh, replace Marina Sirtis because sometimes her acting isn't where it needs to be. I should say Gates McFadden. Uh, you know, we can't replace wardrobing because it looks like it's made in the 90s. We, uh, you know, we accept, we should accept these things as they are. Um, and we should, of course, adapt them so that we can look at them on different media. I know that the disingenuous response is maybe we should just not put it on VHS or DVD or digital streaming. But uh, I think you understand the difference in transporting it to different media so it can be consumed and changing it so that it meets some sort of uh, contemporary aesthetic uh, notion. So, <laughs> uh, but this is what Picard's doing. Picard is finding the boundaries of this world. He says he walked for hours, he eats the soup, and he, he describes the soup, and she's like, hey, um, that's what you always say. So like even then he's he's being pulled into this, what this is. And he wants to interrogate her for information about the world because he remembers none of it. And uh, I, I kind of like she she's not that young, but she's not that old either. And you know, not saying Patrick Stewart's old. I just got through watching Star Trek Picard. I've seen what an old Patrick Stewart looks like. He's an iron weaver. Interesting. And he plays the flute. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I it's 
interesting they have automatic doors and yet he's still like a an artisanal iron weaver. Maybe there are hipsters on Resica on Catan. Lesson. So they made this flute up so that they could play his they could show his face while he's playing the flute. And he wants to send a message, I think, because he's um, because he's trying to find out the, the boundaries of this this reality that he's in. <laughs> and and shout out to Picard for being like a decent dude. He's like, look, I'm sick. I uh, I shouldn't share a bed with you. You know, coronavirus. And also, I don't know you, and it would be wrong. For us to spend time together. He doesn't want to have sex with this lady that he just met. When she's under the mistaken impression that he is her husband. And her necklace is like the probe. So he cut back. So there is. He isn't Cayman. He is Picard. And Picard is lying on the floor of the bridge having rapid eye movement. So now we're intrigued. And we roll into our, our I think, second act. Where Dr. Crusher is here, this is, I mean, I'll say this is some of the best coma acting I've ever seen. He's just a great actor, Patrick Stewart is. He's out here on the floor and he's just stock still, but breathing just the right amount. Eye movement just the right amount, the eyes closed. He's just so good at acting. Um, and Worf is like, look, we can blow it up. They always tell me I can't blow it up, guys, but... I'm telling you, it's got to work at least one time. And when we do, bam, no consequences. What about the other consequences, Worf? No consequences. So, <laughs> uh, so, um, so they're trying to outthink the probe, trying to block the signal, move away from the probe, do this, do that. Do they want to shoot it? Do they not want to shoot it? So, uh, a little bit of hair, and we see that time has passed. Representing the passage of time is important in any uh, story. Uh, I say that directly as a jab to uh, the final episode of Star Trek Picard, where time gets a little wibbly-wobbly. But um, he's been looking for the ship for a long time. And she's like, hey man, what up with uh, that light? And he's been here for five years already. So we kind of understand that uh, time is moving on within this simulation. And she's like, hey, man, like, you do, do you want to shit on our way of life anymore? Looking for your fucking starship and bullshit? And you, uh, you're always so stubborn about it. And you, you fucking tell us to go fuck ourselves because you want to build your starship again. And he's told her all about it. And it's really great. And she's like, hey, man, somebody here loves you. And it's interesting that they've made this so that we know it's a simulation now because Picard's still on the bridge. Um, and to him, it's fading now. It's just becoming a vision. And, you know, he remembers nothing before being Cayman. He remembers nothing before five years ago. And so it's all very real to him. And part of this simulation is that... Um, She's here, and she loves him, and she's very patient. Um, and she says, hey, look, so I've, I've really worked with you on your whole thing, buddy. Um, 
you know, I, I deserve this now. And, you know, the simulation has been playing a really long game. And she wants him to let it go. And she wants him to live this life, which is important because him living that life to us represents the loss of everything we know about Picard. But she says that you can have something here that's that's very real. Um, and <laughs> uh, these guys all apparently grew up together and we don't want him to embrace this culture. And yet... We, because we believe there's a way for him to get back to the Enterprise. Well, we don't, because we know at this point it's a simulation. But he doesn't, and it's reasonable for him to want to get back to the Enterprise. That's what heroes do. They restore the status quo. Um, that's how these stories, that's how these uh, episodic stories are constructed. They have to restore the status quo. It's required. Um, and we see the hints of this story where the crops are growing, and the tree that we saw planted in the first scene is now it's no longer a sapling it's a small tree and it's uh it's thriving and these guys are going through climate change and it's rough um oh he's a visiting like governor or whatever so um so we can see the beginnings of the change on resica resic Catan. anyway <laughs> and it's great he says hey look we're in a drought but we're water rationing we don't need more water uh we need more water sources and the guy's like look you're being alarmist it's fine this is an episode that is it's doing its own thing but it is also about uh letting go of the status quo and embracing change and preparing for the reality of the situation um, and of course it does it in a simulation that eventually comes to its end and it restores the status quo. And Picard um, wants to build a, mo uh, a moisture farm. And he's... Uh, he's... The leadership of Picard is coming through here and I don't, he can't save off this disaster. It's simply beyond him. He can't beat this, um, now that I think about it, uh, um, sorry, the, the, <laughs> he can't beat this Kobayashi Maru. That's what it is, essentially. Um, he's not supposed to win it. Um, what he's supposed to do is simply live within it and learn from it. Um, he's supposed to pick up all the documents and audio logs. He's not supposed to um, rig up an atmospheric condenser and save this community from their inevitable destruction. Um, and that's that's kind of what she's getting him to do. Just saying, hey, look, we don't need leadership out of the crisis. We don't need... Uh, you know, you trying to get home what we need is for you to just live your life and to understand what it was like to be us. And, uh, we, we said a little, little obvious here where his best friend is like, Hey man, I feel like for the first time you're really a part of this community. And that that's the transition we're seeing in captain Picard. Again, so many great things happen with captain Picard in this series. You know, he's, he's 
I say great, I say fascinating stories happened to Picard that would change the life of anyone, anyone uh, who did them, uh, assimilated by the Borg, um, put into the Ruskin probe. Uh, he's interrogated by the Cardassians. And so many of these things could have happened to, to other characters. Um, I would have loved to have seen Gates McFadden, and obviously not not for the nudity part, uh, but I would have loved to have seen Gates McFadden get interrogated by uh, Cardassians. Um, you know, she she's a character with an iron will. She's a character who is a respected senior officer. Um, she's worth interrogating. She was on that mission. I... I would like to see the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation from the alternate universe where we put Gates McFadden, no matter how much I poop on her acting talent, um, into that room and have her sacrifice herself to protect, um, you know, Captain Picard or to protect Worf and, you know, have him say, hey, um, I'd go, you know, you're a fascinating woman. You understand all of these, um, this medical stuff. You understand the politics of this. You're a person of exceptional intellect. We could put you in a nice cottage. You want for nothing. Um, and, you know, you, you wouldn't have to suffer like this. Just tell us, you know, tell us the medical readiness of Minos Corva. Tell us your, your, your containment procedures for biological warfare. Um, you know, something. Give us, you know, as the chief medical officer, you're acquainted with the fleet layouts of, of the sector. Whatever. That would have been really interesting. Um, and it's so easy to talk over this episode because there are a bunch of little human moments and Picard's talking with, he, he's doing some, he's doing some flute man thinking time is what he's doing. So he has a telescope and a lab and, um, he makes the decision to commit to living life here as a member of its society and to having a kid with her. And he asks her consent to have the kid, which is great. Um, they talk about all the great things. And it's a low bar. When she mentions all the great things about Picard being a husband. Um, <laughs> it's a pretty low bar. Um, so, but he decides to, to commit to this and to live this lifestyle. And, you know, as, as a kid watching this, you're like, why are you letting go of your life, Picard? Just, you're supposed to fight this, this insidious program with the hidden dark side to it um and i i wouldn't grate this as a great romance because i think that she's probably designed to be a great romance um and i would also say that you know whenever we talk about the perfect mate and picard wanting someone who is um not expecting him to fall over for overt sexual wiles but for someone who is um intellectually strong as she is um who is patient who is determined she sees him as Cayman regardless and she sticks with him despite that something she might have in common with dr crusher here um for five years this guy has no memory of her and uh <laughs> sorry data's hands is dangling in the background it's hilarious um and i think that's something that's far more tailored to Picard's wants. I think if you were to put someone else in the scenario, they would have a very different best friend. They would have a very different uh, prearranged wife. Um, 
And so I think this Picard's been maneuvered into this. But for five fucking years, man, that's uh, that's still pretty patient, even by the standards of a um, even by the standards of of a probe with accelerated aging and, and stuff. So he's playing the flute again, and again, his hair, the dress, the presence of kids, um, all of this is uh great indicators of the passage of time that are broken up very effectively with the Enterprise just sort of jerking themselves off as they fail to address any of the problems with uh, what's going on with Picard. They're just here to, t- to be like, oh, you know, a little bit of time is passing in quote unquote real time. And um, we're just, we're naturally trying to find solutions because you, you, you would expect us to. We don't know anything um, benign is happening. Uh, but Ty passed away. I forgot about that. So, and the kid's getting christened and Picard is uh, just partaking of the culture. I mean, cheese and bread. This is fucking culture in inverted quotes. White people culture. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a fairly standard culture for what we expect for, um, for, you know, this, this sort of... Um, I keep saying culture. Uh, so I understand. So that that's the thing is that like in subsequent episodes, like, oh, Picard's not so great with children. Motherfucker, he raised kids. Um, I really like Disaster as kind of a turning point for Picard, whose character thing is that he's not great with kids, for him to start being a little better with kids. He's assigned to the starship, etc., etc. Um and he says he couldn't imagine life without kids. And, you know, in making this, they're like, we didn't realize that we were completely changing. We were putting Picard through a life-changing experience. Um, we just thought, you know, it's a fun episode. Uh, so, but it does. Like, Picard should be almost a completely different person. This is life-defining. He has lived a whole other life. And they're trying to, to break the beam in real life. And that's why he has like a spasm inside the simulation. Um, it's interesting how, I mean, they, they end, the, the simulation integrates it as his connection is cut. And again, it's not entirely benign if they're willing to kill him to keep the simulation working. Um, it's very, it would be very simple for Picard to wake up and go, Oh, no, I was in a simulation. It was very important. Please put me back for just, just a moment. Um, or for him to come out and go, oh, oh, that was a simulation. Okay, we should probably put someone else inside of it to, to figure out what it's about. Um, and again, Gase McFadden selling the fact that they almost lost him. So now we go on. And his, his daughter's a young lady. And I don't know, we're moving at a breakneck pace, yet it feels like we're spending a decent amount of time in each of these, um, these shutters. Uh shutter cycles of of Cayman's life analyzing soil bacteria and so now we're learning that the soil of the planet is dead and the drought has been going on and she and they're looking at the data man it's it's a change in the climate and it's bad 
And in mentioning how long this drought's been going on, they also mention hard numbers on how long he's been living here. And he's taught his kids, despite not being like a science guy himself, he's taught his kids um, science. And he's encouraging them to live rather than to go after the science. And he's, he's mixing up his Aesop. So he's saying, hey, look, I don't want you to focus on the truth. I want you to focus on being happy. And she's like, no, you, you brought me up to care about the truth. I may not be happy. And she's like, look, the reality is the planet's dying. And there's a whole discussion here about how people raise their kids and how we value things in this society and you know how we want our kids to be happy even if the values that we teach them impart on them a responsibility and not um, you know, their care for themselves as much as we would like. And again, all in one little scene that plays on this theme of of, um, of life and getting older. And that works within the context of this planet dying and Picard getting older. Make now always the most precious time. will never come again. It's quoted in Star Trek Generations, which I didn't put together. I had to read it in the, the notes, the, the nerdy little like continuity notes. Um, and there's just so much... Uh, Again, Picard learns so... I mean, he just lives for this long. He he becomes a different person. And it's hard to believe that the, the Picard of the very next episode, which is Time Zero, is anything like this dude. It's just a different guy. Catan. There we go. It cannot be a Catanian flu. It's, got, it's a Katarian flu, right? Am I going fucking insane? Data. Spoilers. God damn. Sarwent Nova destroyed all life in the system a thousand years ago. Okay, all right. God damn it. God damn it. Data. Jesus. Awful guy to see a movie with. You know, tell us how the Catanian civilization ends. Hmm. So we go forward and now everybody's old. Okay. <laughs> And he, he's, he's, I'm sorry, he's using his, um, his telescope again. He was using it for uh, finding the Enterprise at first. And now he and his daughter are using it to, um, to try to find options. So, and he and his wife are both getting older. They're, uh, I think she just had surgery. And these are just little, little domestic issues. And his son's learning the flute now. <laughs> and they're just trying to raise kids. And they're worried about their kids. And these are really ordinary concerns. Um, and it seems, uh, it seems very organic. Like little cuts from a, a dramatic story. This is actually Patrick Stewart's kid. Um, just sort of cast here as Patrick Stewart's son, which is funny, but because uh, <laughs> I mean, Patrick Stewart is this guy's dad and he's much younger than the, 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 the Catan, yeah, Lurg, um, Cayman of this 
uh, of this thing. And his son wants to be a musician. He's going to leave school. It's like, kid, you're kind of a flake. Don't just bail on it, okay? So it's an interesting thought. You know, if we have holograms that are sentient, are these people sentient? But I guess they're just programmed to appear realistic. Ah, he's doing the old, <laughs> kids made a decision and, the, and he's like, oh, I'll discuss it later. Um, maybe the school that he's going to is drop out of his college or not high school. I don't know. But, uh, you know, one thing that Picard teaches his kids is the value of an education and the value of science and truth. Like if there's something like when we strip down Picard, like who is this guy? Is he an iron worker? Is he a commander? Is he a leader? No, he's a person who concerns about yeah you know, the reality of the situation and the values of just seeking the truth and solving problems. So, I uh, and even now, like he's not necessarily being a leader, but he's still participating in government because there's a problem to be solved. And I got to say, these people are completely agnostic in their uh, <laughs> um, in their treatment of Federation politics. But here we see Picard being a regular citizen and engaging in the political process. And Picard is making trouble. And that tree, the tree from before, the tree is dying now. And the guy's like, okay, all right, here's the deal. If you're going to tell everybody, and you're going to cause a stir, then we're going to tell you the truth. So we already know. We found out two years ago. Because like, I knew 20 years ago. But they're going to keep it from the public. So, Picard's like, well, then we got to get someone off this planet. We need rockets or something. He's like, man, we don't have the technology. Look, man, we, we put all of our chips into powered doors from 20 years ago. We were just now starting on missiles. And Picard's like, hey, look, you have to do something to help preserve this civilization in some way. And it's like, well, we do got a plan. And it's great that um, Picard is a party to it. Picard um, is like, hey, look, here's the thing we got to do. We got to do something to save something of this civilization. Not aware, of course, that he is um, participating in that. Um and there's a whole drama. There's a whole lifetime being played out here as his wife um, and her old person makeup eventually dies. And, you know, we're not so worried about Picard, the character here. We see we see glimpses of who he is. Um, but I think a lot of what we see is the new character of Cayman, who didn't exist before, but who exists now, is um, Picard plus this environment as a composite so and we think you know as viewers now uh now maybe she'll be honest because she has to be the chief architect of this right and so he tells her so uh he tells her that the council already knew about the issue so he's not going to be in trouble or he's going to be thrown off the council or whatever so he's maybe going to be able to solve this problem but 
Um, yeah, they established this thing where like she's telling him to put her shoes away as some kind of a thing. I only saw it in like one. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. So then she passes from old disease. <laughs> anyway. So it's a heck of a scene. I mean, we go through this really quick, and I think that we do spend a lot of time. Like, we think, oh, we're barely with this character, but we do spend a lot of time with her um, and a lot of time with him. And uh, life has gone on, and we kind of see the whole cycle of life repeat itself. His daughter gets a husband. His daughter has kids. He's playing with the kids who are his grandchildren now. People are wearing wide hats. They're talking about sun protection. Sunscreen. Because the sun's bad. And people have hats on them. And again, the culture's changing to go with uh, the missile. <laughs> uh, he's become cantankerous and old, which seems to be a trait of Picard as he gets older. But... Um, Anyway, um, but we're kind of getting near to the end of this thing. And he says, hey, look, like this climatolo climatological emergency, I know it's going to screw over my grandkids. It, I just want him to be as happy as he can be now because his future is so irrevocably fucked. He hasn't heard anything about a launch, I guess, because there's going to be a big missile launch. Everybody knows about it except for him. <laughs> oh, well, he actually says that. So, and he goes to sit down somewhere nice and cozy. But, um, and that's the deal is like they bathed this entire plaza set and uh, in his white light. And, uh, and this is the part where they finally come clean with him. And they're like, hey, look. He's like, well, what is, what's, what are we sending into space? It'd be so important. She's like, you've already seen it before. And he's like, come on, I have it. And then um, he hears the voice of his friend who died after, what, two, three, three cuts back to the Katarian planet. To Katan. And he's like, man, you know this thing. You've already seen the missile. We're done here. We'd hope that the point of the probe, the one thing we could do is to find a person that we could give our entire culture to, who could teach it to other people to preserve something of who we are. Um, and, uh, you know, he's a little slow in the pickup, but, you know, um, he, he's telling us Everything that, uh, that, you know, he's telling the audience all of the details where he's like, hey, look, this is the probe that's going to find me in the future. And his wife is alive. And I think we could have used a little more time of him living without her. But um, we see the tree is fully dead in the background. And he said, hey, man, just this is all just so that someone in the future would remember our, our culture and our people. And it's a really slow scene. And 
it's it's just intense um i feel like that rocket wasn't there in the original i feel like it was just brightness so like 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 the program wasn't finished rendering before they had to ship it so and it's again it's a great ending because it's kind of sad and it's kind of happy um But it's such a good episode. And I don't... I feel like you could just write the story of Cayman. And that would be a cool story. But then you put it on the, on the apocalyptic backdrop. And... Um, uh, and suddenly it has, has this timber of all of this... The society that we know being very fragile. Um... And there being this very thin thread that connects each of these lonely little planets to a future. Um, a thread that we could lose or sever um, by our own poor choices or by fate. And, you know, the, the persistence of these people in finding solutions. Not, not in being desperate or choosing to hope in spite of the fact that things are bad. But in the ability to grapple with the solution as it exists and to take steps, no matter how unlikely to succeed, um, to fail to just give up or to, to say, well, if everything's shit, let's just be shitty. Um, to say, hey, um, maybe he'll learn the valuable lesson of never wearing that stupid jacket again. But, uh, you know, that there are resolute scientific ways to solve these problems and that you know, we can't, we cannot deny these problems. We can't um, deny climate change. We can't deny the coronavirus. Um, these problems that are coming for us are for real and they don't require panic. They rarely ever allow us convenient solutions. Everything that can be in, uh, everything that can be solved with convenient solutions, we will solve pretty quickly with the convenient solution. Um, it is incumbent upon us to make the hard decisions, the inconvenient decisions, um, which are oftentimes the only decisions. So, and this episode is about that. And it's also an emotional story where you care about characters that are kind of thrown at us, uh, kind of via, uh, <laughs> kind of via a clockwork orange indoctrination scene. But, um, so yeah, the, the probe is pretty stupid because it, it just blows itself up. It's like, you could probably do that to a second guy. Like, all that data is still in there. You could probably just bring it into the, the cargo bay and then there would be like more data inside of it. So it doesn't just have to like whammy one guy and then explode itself. But it apparently had this flute. Which is interesting because... Up until this point, we assume that whatever Picard did in the simulation, it was a part of who he was as Picard. But now it turns out that regardless of your decisions in the game, you're going to max fluting. That's just going to be your, 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 your lead stat. It's like the archery of, of goddamn uh, Catan. So... That's a bit of a letdown in that we feel like maybe Picard couldn't touch the Catanians. But in the end, the reality was uh, that he couldn't. 
touch them. They were dead for a thousand years. The only way the only way this went is that the Catanians touched Picard. And the real, not the real tragedy, but one of the tragedies of this is how little it sticks with Picard. Um, you know, it sticks with us. And yet somehow still Picard is the Bork guy. Probably because he couldn't make a second TNG movie about the Catanians trying to blow up Earth. So that's probably a part of it. But it is so one character for Picard to play the flute, you know? It's a pretty mellow, low-tech type of uh, type of thing. Oh, yeah, the, the part of the flute melody is is used for Star Trek Picard credits, which, um, let me tell you, it's a, it's a fine tune. I don't think I'd ever forget that tune, but um, I don't think it's enough to be like the intro for a TV show. Anyway, that is it for the inner light. Um, I got to blow my nose a little bit. Uh... I will see you guys next week when Derek and I do Time's Arrow Part 1. And until then, remember Rant.